So if you're new with us, my name's Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And today we are in part four of a series called Real Faith. And what we're doing in this series is we are trying to learn what real faith in God should look like. We've learned four primary things so far in this series. So I'm gonna go over that and then we're gonna dive into new content for today. So the first thing that we learned in this series is this. We are all people of faith. We're all people of faith. Everybody has faith in something. Some people have faith in God. Some people have faith in Buddha. Some people have faith in Allah. Some people have faith in aliens. Some people have faith in atheism. We all have faith in something because we're all people of faith. Second thing that we learn is to have real faith, we must define faith the way that God does. So our world defines faith as kind of this wishful thinking, this wishful hoping. Like, I, I sure hope that God exists. I hope he loves me. And sadly, that's how many Christ followers define faith as well. But God defines faith as confident assurance in what we hope for. And the word hope in scripture, the word hope specifically in Hebrews 11.1 1, is not wishful thinking. It is the word elpizo, the Greek word elpizo, and it means waiting with confident expectation, knowing that we will receive what we are hoping for. So God's definition of faith is very different than our world's definition. If we're gonna have real faith in God, we have to define faith the way that he does. Third thing that we learn is that real faith must be personal and must be passed on. So we can't count on someone else's faith for us to have faith. We can't count on something else that someone else has done for us, for us to have faith. We need to have personal faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That means we need to be old enough to understand what he has done on the cross for us and then to make a decision to ask him to be our Lord and Savior and to follow him for us to have personal faith and a personal relationship with him. And then our faith must be passed on. So we have to pass on our faith. Jesus commanded in Matthew 28 that we go into all the world and tell everyone about him. So our faith must be personal. Our faith must be passed on. And then last week we learned this. Real faith must be grounded in Christ and purposefully grown. So if our faith isn't grounded in Jesus, we're in trouble because our faith will fail whenever that thing we put our faith in fails us. And the only one that will never fail us is God. So if we're gonna be people of faith, we need to have our faith grounded in Christ. And then we need to purposefully grow our faith. You know, sometimes we have this strange idea that when we start faith and we start a relationship with God, that God will just grow our faith naturally. But our faith has to be purposefully grown. God wants to grow our faith and he wants us to participate in that process. He wants us to feed our faith. He wants us to weed our faith. He wants us to spend time learning about how to grow our faith and be active in that process of growing our faith on a regular basis. So those are the four things that we've learned so far. And today we're, we're gonna dive into this question. I'm gonna try to answer this question today. Is it possible to regain faith after walking away from it? Is it really possible to regain faith if you've chosen to walk away from it? Sometimes people say, you know, I've lost my faith. So if we've lost our faith, is it possible to come back to faith? And today we're gonna to answer that question as well as look at one of the hardest passages in scripture for us to interpret and understand and apply to our lives related to this question. And you need to know as we're answering this question and we're looking at this tough subject that many Bible scholars have disagreed on this subject for a very long time, okay? So if we can all just be in agreement that some really smart people have disagreed on this subject, then I think that we'll be in a little better spot. You might have a very strong opinion on this subject, and you might find that you and I agree or maybe we disagree on this subject. So let me be clear. I'm a Bible teacher. I'm not a Bible scholar like some of the folks that I learned from uh, have disagreed on this subject. And there are some people that I've learned from and they disagree. So again, 
there's a chance that we might disagree with each other. If we disagree, I encourage you to listen to everything that I have to say today. And then at the end, you can decide whether you agree or not. And we can have conversations about that later. We in agreement on that? Great, let's do that together. I highly recommend that you take notes today because I recommend that you study this on your own. Don't just believe me because I'm up here with a microphone and teaching from a podium, okay? So you need to go home, take these verses home with you and study them on your own. We should never stand on our opinions or the word of someone else on a subject. We should dive into scripture for ourselves to make sure we're standing on scripture for the things that we believe. So again, I recommend you take notes and then do some some studying later today or later this week. And I have put all the verses that we're gonna study today on our spiritual growth challenge. So I encourage you, if you're on campus, pick that up before you leave today. And if you're watching online, there's a link in the comment section, just download that. And again, that'll be useful for you for digging into this subject together. So who is ready to tackle one of the biggest uh, questions that our world has today and one of the toughest subjects in scripture? All right, about five of you are. So great, we're gonna dive in, let's pray, and then let's do this together, okay? So God, thank you for the opportunity for us to study your word together in this context. Lord, thinking about us meeting in a school. Lord, in many places around the United States, this is not allowed. So it is an honor, it's a privilege, it's something that we are so thankful for when we think about thanksgiving and the many things that we have to be thankful for. Another thing that I'm thankful for, Lord, is that we can dive into tough passages of scripture and we can learn what you have to say about those things. Lord, you want us to know what you have to say on this subject today. So Lord, I pray that we would dive into it standing firmly on your word. So speak powerfully to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Today, thousands of people are reportedly leaving the Christian faith. George Barna did a study three years ago. He's a research expert, and he did a study. He found that 64% of 18 to 29-year-olds who grew up in the church leave church, and most of them leave their faith when they get out on their own. Pew Research did a study that came out this year that found out that Christianity will be the minority religion in the United States in less than 50 years. And if you were with us in our last series called Worldview, we already learned that only 6% of Americans already view the world the way that Christ views the world. So that basically means that Christianity is already a minority religion in the United States. We're already in that reality. CBN News reported this year that 30% of Americans label themselves as nuns. And I'm not talking about the Catholic version of nuns. We're not talking about that if you grew up in that context. Nuns is spelled N-O-N-E-S, and it's a label for people who don't associate with any religious organization. So 30% of Americans say, I'm not tied to any religious organization whatsoever. Then there's this new trend impacting faith today called deconstruction. And I'm curious, anybody ever heard of the word deconstruction related to faith, not related to construction? Okay. Anybody heard that? All right. A few of you, for those of you who are not familiar with this, deconstruction is the process of questioning, doubting, and ultimately rejecting some or all parts of the Christian faith. And I wanna give you some examples of some Christian leaders over the past few years who have deconstructed their faith. And you may or may not know these religious leaders. If you do, great. If you don't, doesn't matter. Um, These are just examples of that. A guy by the name of Marty Sampson, a Hillsong worship songwriter. So we have sung and we sing some of Hillsong's worship songs. So Marty Sampson, who has been a part of writing some of those songs, on August the 10th of 2019, he posted on Instagram that he is losing his faith in Christianity. And then 13 days later, he said he's no longer a Christian. Abraham Piper, 
not sure if you're familiar with John Piper. John Piper is a pastor. He's been labeled one of the most influential pastors in the United States. And his son, Abraham Piper, attacks his dad, John, and Christianity on a regular basis on Instagram and on social media. Joshua Harris, who is a well-known author, mega church pastor, purity movement leader, he posted on Instagram on July 26, 2019, he said, I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to be, be open to that, but I am not there right now. He went on to offer an online class, a five-week online class, on how to deconstruct your faith. And you could take that class for about $275, I believe. I'm not sure if he's still teaching that. John Steingard used to be the local uh, or lead vocalist for a popular Christian group known as Hawk Nelson. And on Instagram of May 2020, he posted, after growing up in a Christian home, being a pastor's kid, playing and singing in a Christian band and having the word Christian in front of most of the things in my life, I am now finding that I no longer believe in God. So those are just four examples of Christian leaders over the past few years who have deconstructed their faith. And one of the things that they have in common besides deconstructing their faith is their use of Instagram. So apparently, if you use Instagram, you're at risk of losing your faith. Thank you for laughing on this side because that really was a joke. So a joke across the board if you're an Instagram user. Again, those are just a few examples of thousands of people today who say they are walking away from the Christian faith. Now, as shocking as that is, God told us this would happen. In Matthew 24, Jesus told his disciples what some of the signs of the end times would be and his return. And he said there will be famines, there'll be earthquakes, there'll be wars, there'll be rumors of wars. And in Matthew 24, 10, Jesus said, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. That's happening today. Then in 1 Timothy 4, 1, God through the apostle Paul said this. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last days, again, in the end times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. So God makes it very clear in scripture that as the time of Jesus' return gets closer, more and more people will walk away from faith in him. Just out of curiosity, how many of you know someone who has walked away or is considering walking away from their faith? Anybody? All right, just hold your hands up real high, look around. So there is a large number of people who know others who have walked away or are considering walking away. And if you're in that spot, what I encourage you to do is pay attention today for ways that you can engage spiritual conversations with them about why they potentially walked away from their faith. If you are someone like that, either on campus or, or maybe joining us online, that maybe you've walked away from your faith at one point or you're considering walking away from your faith, I am so glad that you're with us today. I'm so glad that you've decided to tune in with us. And I'm gonna say something that might sound a little bit weird because it might not necessarily be a bad thing that you walked away from the version of faith that you walked away from. And we'll talk more about that today. So please keep listening. Now, there are many reasons why people walk away from their faith. And we're just going to look at five common reasons today. But again, there are a lot more reasons than, than just what we're going to look at today. So one of the reasons that people walk away from their faith is because they were hurt by religion or they were hurt by a religious leader, hurt by another Christian. And, you know, there are some people that grow up in toxic toxic religious environments, or they get involved as an adult in toxic environments. And, you know, when, when religion gets hurtful, it gets kind of toxic at times. And there are some real toxic environments that are out there that do hurt people. And we've got to be careful about that. We've got to be careful about our involvement in religious organizations that can bring that kind of hurt to people. 
And maybe you're aware of that. Maybe you've experienced that in your own life. Maybe you've been hurt personally by one of those environments, or you've been hurt by a religious leader, or you've been hurt by someone who claimed to be a true follower of Jesus. And that makes God's heart sad when uh, we're hurt uh, in the name of religion. Uh, I was talking with some folks here recently, and uh, one of the people I was talking with shared that when they were little, their mom got real sick, and their dad tried to keep her and her siblings in church and uh, took them to church, but was confronted by several religious leaders on several occasions that he was not wearing the right clothes to church. He was not dressed up enough. So on behalf of anyone who has ever been told that or thought that you had to wear certain clothes to attend church, I dressed up for you today (laughs) in honor of that so that you know that there aren't church clothes and non-church clothes. So when you come to church, here's what I hope, is that you wear clothes. (laughs) Beyond that, there aren't church clothes, okay? So let's just be clear about that. So some people walk away from faith because they've been hurt by religion. Other people walk away from faith because of doubts about God or they don't believe in God anymore. So maybe you went off to college. College is that environment where many people walk away from their faith. You know, maybe you got into a class with a philosophy teacher, or a history teacher, or somebody who wanted to, to deconstruct your faith for you. And they started asking questions about faith that you didn't have answers for. And then maybe you backed up and said, listen, if my faith can't answer these questions, then maybe I've got to look for a new faith or maybe I just have to walk away from faith altogether. So sometimes we come across doubts that arise as we're getting older and we can't answer those questions and then we're tempted to walk away from faith. Other people walk away from faith because of guilt or self-doubt. Sometimes we have this expectation that we live these perfect lives. And if we can't live those perfect lives, if we can't live what we see in scripture, if we can't live like Jesus and we fail, we feel so bad about that. And maybe we fail a few times, maybe we fail a lot of times. And we feel like, you know, we are such failures. We can't live up to God's standards in scripture. So maybe we're just not worth uh, living the Christian life. And so we're tempted to walk away because we feel guilty or we feel a lot of doubt about ourselves. Another reason people walk away from faith is is because they're mad at God. Sometimes God doesn't do something that we wish he would do. Sometimes God allows something that he wish he would have prevented. And when those things happen, there are moments that we just get angry at God. And in our anger, we get tempted to walk away from him. And sometimes people do. Sometimes people run from God because they're so angry at him. You know, a great example of that in the Old Testament is the Old Testament prophet Jonah. If if you're not familiar with his story, God came to Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go to this town called Nineveh. I want you to speak to these people in in Nineveh. I want you to tell them that they have turned away from me and, and I'm going to enact judgment on them if they don't turn back. And Jonah got in a boat and went the other direction and said, God, I'm not going to Nineveh. I do not want to go tell those people about you. Why? If you dig into the story, you find out that Jonah says, listen, I know you are a gracious God. And if I go proclaim this judgment of God on these people, then you're going to forgive them if they turn their hearts towards you. And I'm a little bit mad about that because they were so evil. Like, can you imagine a prophet of God being mad at God because people won't, wouldn't turn their hearts back to him? There's a whole lot more in that story, but he's a great example of someone who got mad at God and ran away from him in that context. Well, today, sometimes we get mad at God and we pull away from faith altogether. Other people turn away from God, walk away from their faith, but they never really knew God. You know, maybe they grew up around church. Maybe they had a religious experience. Maybe one day they prayed a prayer that they didn't really understand and they never really knew God. And then later when life gets difficult and their faith is tested, the faith they think they have in God is tested and their faith crumbles because they never really knew God. And so then they, they kind of walk away saying, well, I guess that didn't work. I guess faith in God wasn't really a thing for me. Maybe it works for other people. It probably just doesn't work for me. And then they end up walking away from faith, but they never really knew God in the first place. So 
Those are just five common reasons why people walk away from faith. And regardless of why people walk away from faith, the big question again is, can someone regain faith after walking away? Now, some Christians and some religious leaders say the answer to that question is no. It's not possible to come back to faith if you've walked away from it. Uh, often they base their belief on Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. So listen to what this tough passage says, and then we'll pull it apart together. Verse 4 says, For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring back such people to repentance. By rejecting the Son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. So there you have it. There's the answer. Um, let's pray. Let's go home. I guess we got it, right? So thanks for the quiet silence there. And everybody's like, I hope there's more. There's more. So like I said earlier, this is one of the toughest passages in scripture to understand. And I encourage you, if you're new to scripture and you're reading along and you come across something and you're like, what does that mean? That makes no sense. If you find a tough spot in scripture, one of the things I encourage you to do to understand that passage is to look at other passages in scripture. Do some cross-referencing related to other things that God said about that subject that'll help you come back and understand that tough subject or that tough passage better. So we're going to look at several different passages, and then we're going to come back into Hebrews chapter six again. So the first passage we're going to look at is in 1 John chapter two. So in 1 John chapter two, the apostle John talks about people who left the early New Testament churches. And he says this in verse 19. He says, those people left our churches, but they never really belonged with us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong with us. Now, John wasn't saying, hey, they weren't a part of our denomination, so they had to go to some other denomination. John was saying they were not real Christ followers. They looked like Christ followers. They looked like they, they knew a lot about God, but they didn't know God personally. They didn't know him the way that God expects that we know him. So when they left, it proved that they were not genuine followers of Jesus. The second passage that we're gonna look at is in Matthew chapter seven. This is found in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is, uh, records Jesus preaching about a very tough subject here. This is another one of the, the most difficult passages in scripture to understand. So this is like BOGO day. Like you get two tough passages in, in one sermon, okay? So this passage, this statement that Jesus makes has frightened Christ followers since the day he made this statement. So listen to what he says in verse 21 of Matthew 7. He said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my father in heaven will enter. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Verse 22 says, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Today, there are many Christ followers who are afraid that they will be one of those people that Jesus rejects when they stand in his presence. But the reason that Jesus didn't know those people was because those people didn't know Jesus. We've talked about this in this series. We talked about it in this summary at the beginning of, of our time together, that real faith is about a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not about religious activity, thinking that religious activity is going to get us into God's family or cause God to pay attention to us. That's not what real faith is about. We can have all kinds of religious activity that we're involved in all of our lives and still never know God. We can look like we know God. We can look like we know a whole lot about God and we can still not know Jesus 
personally. We have to put our faith and trust in Jesus and the work that he did on the cross for us and count on that for our eternal security, our eternal relationship with him, not on the stuff that we do to get into a relationship with him. We'll explain more of that in just a minute. In John chapter six, some people were asking Jesus about good works. They, they wanted to do good works for God. And again, remember what Jesus said in verse 21 of Matthew 7. He said, only those who actually do the will of his father in heaven will get to enter his kingdom. Well, in John chapter 6, verse 29, he said this. He said, this is the only work that God wants from you. Like, this is God's will for you. Believe in the one he has sent. So again, belief in Jesus is the most important thing that we can do to start a relationship with God that'll last forever and get us into his eternal family. It, it moves us from knowing about God to knowing God. So the people talking to Jesus in Matthew chapter seven were not Christ followers. They looked like Christ followers, but they did not know Jesus personally. One of the core issues around whether someone can return to faith is whether we can lose our faith or lose our salvation. If we are genuinely saved, if we've genuinely put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, can we lose that? So listen to what Jesus said about that in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, he was in the temple that day and some Jews came up and they asked him, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you the savior of the world? Please tell us plainly, tell us clearly if you are. And he answered in verse 25, he said, I have already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is the work that I do in my father's name, but you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. So get the context of what Jesus is saying and where he's saying it. He's in the temple. Okay, so he's in the temple. He's talking to some very religious people who are there to worship God. And most likely, people in the crowd talking to Jesus are also religious leaders. And Jesus says, you are not my sheep. Verse 27, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the father's hand. The father and I are one. So get the powerful picture of what Jesus is describing here. He says, when someone puts their faith and trust in him as their personal Lord and savior, God the father places them into the strong, mighty, protective hand of Jesus. Jesus says, then he places himself in God the father's strong hand of protection. Ephesians 1.13 tells us then that the Holy Spirit seals those people into God's family forever. So get the context of all of that. We're placed into Jesus' hand. Jesus places himself in the God the Father's hand. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Nothing and no one can take us out of that position, not even ourselves. And think about the context of that. If we are strong enough to climb out of Christ's hand, if we're strong enough to climb out of God the Father's hand, if we're strong enough to break the seal that the Holy Spirit puts on us when we step genuinely into God's family, that makes us stronger than God, and that's not possible. That's not possible. So if someone is genuinely saved, someone genuinely puts their faith and trust in Jesus, as their personal Lord and Savior, they cannot lose that. That is called eternal security. Now, let me tell you what eternal security does not mean. It does not mean that we can live any way we want because we pray to prayer and we have the golden ticket. It does not mean that when we stand before God, we pull out the golden ticket and say, you've got to let me into heaven because I prayed a prayer one day and I use these religious words and put them together in the right context, so you gotta let me into heaven. It's not what that means, but I do know people who think that's what it means. They, they kind of pray a prayer, kind of like eternal life insurance 
And, and they hope that uh, I don't ever want to go to hell, so I'm just going to say these religious words and think that those religious words are going to get me into heaven. And I may not genuinely believe that. Reality is God knows our hearts. He knows what we're saying and why we're saying it, whether we believe that or not. So we can't just pray a prayer, engage some religious activity and think we're in and that we can go and live any way we want. It's not possible. If we're genuine in inviting Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, guess what? It'll show up in how we live. Bible says that if you're a true follower of Jesus, you'll display fruit. There'll be fruit that you can see in your life, uh, fruit that's evidence of the transformation that's happening in your life and the evidence of Jesus living in you, the Holy Spirit transforming you, there'll be evidence. Now, does that mean that we'll live perfect lives? No, we won't live perfect lives. But when we mess up, we'll make it right. We'll come running back to God quickly. We'll fix what we break and we'll keep learning to live in love like Jesus. So that's what eternal security means and what eternal security does not mean. So that leads us back to Hebrews chapter six. So were the people in Hebrews six, Christians who lost their faith, lost their salvation because they turned away from Jesus? No. Those who turned away were not genuine Christ followers. Again, they looked like Christ followers, but they weren't. They experienced some things uh, for God, some, some great things for God. They did some great things for God, but they didn't know God. There's some great examples of, of scripture of people like that. The religious leaders in Jesus' day were a great example of that. They were very religious. They checked off all the religious boxes. Everybody would say, wow, if anybody has a relationship with God, they do. And then Jesus comes along and says, you're hypocrites. You look great on the outside, but you're filled with dead people's bones and you're leading people to hell. Like, can you imagine being a religious leader or being around religious leaders and hearing Jesus say that to them? Like, have you ever wondered why they wanted to kill Jesus? Like, that was part of it. Like, he was brutally honest with them, that they were wrapped up in religion, but they didn't have a personal relationship. Another great example is Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Judas uh, was close to Jesus for three and a half years, just like the other disciples. He walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, participated in Jesus' ministry up close and personal. He participated in, in seeing miracles happen and healings happen and life change happen. And yet life change didn't happen in Judas's heart. He never surrendered his heart to Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior. And he is the only disciple of Jesus to betray Jesus and end up in hell because of his betrayal. Now, all the other disciples ran away from Jesus, but they didn't turn away from Jesus. They didn't turn away from belief in him. And Judas didn't have genuine belief in Jesus. The apostle Paul warned us about people like this in 2 Timothy 3, 5. Uh, speaking again about the end times, he says this. He says, some people will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So when someone rejects the power that could make them godly, they're rejecting God. When we reject God the Father or God the Son, we're rejecting God forever. If we, if we do that all the way to our dying days. And so it really is possible to look like a Christ follower, but not be one. And that's what was happening in Hebrews chapter six. To understand Hebrews, the whole book, and to understand specifically chapter six is important and helpful to know who the book of Hebrews was written to and why it was written to them. So this is crazy, but the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrews, thank you. Thank you for filling in the blank there. So yeah, yeah it's, it's right there in the title. So the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrews. It was written to Hebrew believers in Jesus and Hebrew almost believers. People who were uh, intellectually 
convinced that, hey, this really might be the way, Jesus might be the way, but they were spiritually uncommitted. They had not made a final decision to follow Jesus. So it was written to remind those Jews about the difference between the old sacrificial system and the new sacrificial system. And if you read Hebrews, and I strongly recommend that you do that, you'll see that the author of Hebrews is building his case as he's speaking to these two groups of Hebrews. So he's building his case and he says, Jesus really is God the Son. Jesus really is greater than everyone. He's greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. Jesus is our high priest. And then he talks in Hebrews chapter 10 about the old sacrificial system and the new sacrificial system. He says, listen, Hebrews, understand the old system that we're all used to involved us sacrificing animals on a regular basis so that our sins could be covered, not so that our sins could be taken away. So when people in the Old Testament, people in that day, when, when they sinned, they would sacrifice an animal so that they could get back into a right relationship with God and God would allow the death of that animal, the shedding of that blood of that animal to pay for their sins for a short time, a, a temporary moment. And they had to sacrifice another animal again the next time that they sinned over and over and over again. So it was kind of like God put a blanket over their sin so that he couldn't see that in that context, but their sin was not removed. It was not taken away. And then the author of Hebrews comes and says, but now Jesus, when he came, he did away with the old sacrificial system and he started a brand new system because he died as the lamb of God. He offered himself as the lamb of God to take away our sins. And when he has come and taken away our sins, we put our faith and trust in him. We don't have to go back and sacrifice animals anymore. Why? Because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice once for all time. Once and for all time. Why don't we sacrifice animals today? Because Jesus sacrificed himself once for all time. There's no more need for that. That's the new system. So Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, was telling those potential believers, don't go back. Don't go back to that old sacrificial system. Don't do that. If you go back, you're rejecting the son of God. Finally, you're nailing him to the cross again. And you're saying his sacrifice wasn't good enough. So he was basically saying, listen, you can't believe in Jesus and practice the old system. Those two things are not possible. It's kind of like us saying today, you can't believe in Jesus and think that there are many ways to find a relationship with God and live with him for eternity. Like some of us choose Jesus, some of us choose Allah, some of us choose Buddha, you know, whatever you choose, as long as you sincerely believe in that thing, it's, it's all right, you'll find God at the end. Jesus didn't give us that option for that. Jesus was very clear in John 14, 6, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way but me. So we can't believe in Jesus and say, well, everybody else can believe in whatever they want. No, those two things don't go together. We either believe in Jesus or we believe in that. We can't believe in both. That's kind of the context of what the author of Hebrews was saying to those Jews in that moment. So understanding who Hebrews was primarily written to and why it was written can help us understand what was written in Hebrews chapter six. So for those of you who are wondering if I'm ever gonna answer the question, can someone regain faith after walking away? The answer is yes. As long as we are alive, we have the chance to come to God or to come back to God. There's no sin too great for God's grace. But if we refuse to accept Jesus as our Lord while we're alive, then in our death, God will grant us that rejection of him for all of eternity. That's why the author of Hebrews warns throughout Hebrews, don't harden your hearts. When you hear this message, when you're reminded about the truth of the new covenant, the, the new system that Jesus instituted, that he did away with the old system, when you hear this, don't harden your hearts. Don't reject it because every time you reject it, it gets harder and harder for you to accept it. So the more you reject Jesus throughout your life, the harder it is gonna be in your dying day to actually believe in Jesus and what he really did for you. So when you hear it, don't reject it 
or it'll get harder and harder for you to actually believe it. So yes, it is possible to regain faith, but I wouldn't call it regaining faith. I would call it gaining real faith for the first time because it is really hard to regain something that you didn't really have in the first place. So this might sound weird, but instead of regaining faith, I think people should reconsider faith. And the reason is, is because most likely your faith was in the wrong thing. So for example, if you left faith because you were hurt by religion or you were hurt by a Christian or a religious leader, maybe your faith was in a religious system and it wasn't really in God. The reality is religion hurts people, but God never wanted us to be wrapped up in religion. He desires a personal relationship with each of us. So don't let toxic religion or some painful experience you had with a religious leader or another Christ follower to push you away from God or keep you away from God. Forgive those people and get to know God for who he really is. Get to know him personally. Maybe you left faith in God because of doubts that you couldn't answer. Again, uh, maybe you or, or somebody you know is in this spot and you know, questions arose and doubts came up and you or they couldn't answer these questions and, and maybe you or they thought, you know what, if my faith can't answer these questions, like maybe I gotta find a new faith, maybe I gotta turn away from faith altogether. But instead of letting doubts drive us from God, we should let our doubts and questions drive us to God. Proverbs chapter two, verse one says, my child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. God loves to give us wisdom and answers to the real questions that we have, but we have to come to him for those questions and for those answers. And, and get this, if you're somebody who has doubts or, or you know somebody who has doubts, they are not asking questions that have not already been asked or answered by God. Nobody has thought up a new question over the past several thousand years. So if somebody's asking a question, guess what? Somebody else has already asked that question. And guess what? God has an answer. We have to pursue him to find out what that answer is. For those who walked away or, or have considered walking away because of guilt or self-doubt, maybe your faith wasn't in God. Maybe your faith was in yourself. Maybe your faith was in your ability to live the perfect Christian life. And if you couldn't do that, since you couldn't do that, maybe you felt like you weren't worthy to be in a relationship with God. And so you felt like you had to walk away from that. But God knows we're going to mess up. He doesn't expect perfection out of us. He wants us to come to him quickly when we do mess up to receive his forgiveness and grace. First John chapter one, verse eight says, if we claim that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. So nobody can say, hey, I've arrived. Like I'm following Jesus so well, I'm not, I haven't sinned anymore. I haven't sinned in a long time. Like that's not true. We're followers of, of Jesus. That doesn't mean we're perfect. We're still sinful. And John recognizes that. And then he says in verse nine, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So when we mess up, we shouldn't run away from God. We should run to him to receive his grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Now, some people who left faith might just be mad at God. Like maybe God, again, didn't do something that you wish he would have done. Maybe he didn't do something you thought he should do. So if you're mad at him, don't run away from him and say, well, I'm gonna reject my faith in you because I'm just ticked off at you, God. We shouldn't do that. Again, we should run to him. We should talk to him about that. And then we should do what King David did in Psalms 13. I'm not actually gonna read Psalms 13 because I, I really want those of you who potentially could be mad at God, I want you to later today or this week, I want you to look up Psalms 13. I want you to watch how David expressed his frustration with God. And then he did something different at the end of Psalms 13. 
I challenge you to read that. I challenge you to apply that to your life if you think that you're just mad at God. Now, some people walked away from God, but they never really knew him. Again, maybe they grew up in church saying, you know, I believed God all my life, but didn't have a personal relationship with him. Maybe they had this spiritual experience. Maybe they walked through a baptism and thought that baptism meant salvation, but finding out now, like, no, baptism and salvation are two separate things. Maybe they had this religious experience. Maybe they prayed a prayer as this eternal life insurance policy. But again, they didn't genuinely put their faith and trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If you're in that spot, don't walk away from God when life gets tough, when your faith gets challenged, walk to God and put genuine faith in him. So if you're in that spot and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to walk you through how you can do that in just a few minutes. Now, as we close, our worship team is going to come out and they're going to guide us through a final song called Give Me Faith. And as they sing, I encourage you to reconsider your faith. If you've walked away or you're considering walking away, I encourage you to reconsider what your faith is in. Like there's a really good chance that your faith was in the wrong thing. And if your faith was in the wrong thing, God wasn't all that bothered that you walked away from that. God actually wants you to walk to the right kind of faith in him. And you have an opportunity to do that today. If you haven't walked away from your faith, I encourage you during this song to reconsider how you're living your faith. Again, there are thousands of people around us every day walking away from their faith. There are people that we know who are walking away from their faith or considering walking away from their faith. And I think we have a responsibility. If you're a genuine follower of Jesus, we have a responsibility to help them understand that maybe their faith was in the wrong thing and how to put their genuine faith in Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. So listen uh, for ways that you can do that Ask God to open your eyes to ways that you can engage people around you in spiritual conversations this week who might be walking away from their faith. And again, pick up our spiritual growth challenge before you leave today or or get the link in the comment section. There are some great resources there for all of us in learning how to have real faith in God. If today has stirred up some faith issues or faith questions that you have and you'd like to to talk about that after the service, I'm gonna be available down front. Chris, the guy who did announcements, will be available down front as well. Would love to have a spiritual conversation with you about that. You could stop by our care table on the way out today. You could talk with Carolyn, our director of care and counseling. You talk to some of our care uh, team members that are there as well. They'd love to have a conversation with you. And maybe today you start the conversation. Maybe it'd be good to schedule an appointment in the office to talk with one of our pastors, one of our staff members about some uh, faith questions that you might have. If you're watching online and you have faith questions, email us at care at theepicchurch.com. We would love to engage you in those conversations and help you any way that we can. So again, I'll be up front. You can stop by our care table in the lobby as well. Now, if you would like to come up after the service and tell me why you totally disagree with everything that I've said today and my perspective on scripture, here's what I ask. Give me about 10 or 15 minutes to talk to those who are wrestling with faith and then we can have those conversations after that, okay? So let's pray together and then let's sing. Lord, I'm so grateful that you give us truth from your written word that we can wrestle with. And Lord, I'm grateful for difficult passages that that actually cause us to dig deeper into scripture, to find out what you really mean by those things. Lord, sometimes we could read something on the surface and think it means one thing, and yet it, it means another thing. And we owe it to ourselves. We owe it in our relationship with you. We owe it to other people to dig deeper, to have an accurate understanding of what you mean in scripture. So Lord, I'm grateful to know that it is possible for us to regain faith after we've walked away. Lord, I'm grateful to know that there is no sin too great for your grace, that we can't out your grace. Your grace is abundant for us every day. Lord, scripture teaches that the only sin that you can't forgive is rejection of Jesus. 
when we reject you, Jesus, on our dying days and say, I don't want a relationship with you. I don't believe that you're the savior of the world. You are not my savior. You are not my Messiah. You can't forgive that. And you will grant us, whoever decides that, you'll grant us that decision for all of eternity. And we'll spend an eternity apart from you in a real place called hell. But Lord, I'm grateful again that as we walk this journey of faith and we walk these moments of struggle, that we can come back to you. We can run back to you. And Lord, I pray that some people would do that today. Lord, I understand that some people probably walked away from their faith thinking they were walking away from faith in you, but they were walking away from a different kind of faith, something that you were probably okay with them walking away from. And yet today you want them to walk to you, not to regain faith, but to gain new faith, real faith in you. So Lord, I pray that we would all wrestle with where we are on our faith journey and really wrestle with where we have genuine faith in you or not. And if we don't, Lord, I pray that we would wrestle towards you with those faith issues. Lord, I know that here today on campus and maybe those watching online, there just might be some folks willing to say, you know what? I've never had genuine faith in Jesus. Maybe I had my faith in the wrong thing. And maybe I just never put my faith and trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross for me. So if you're in that spot on campus, if you're in that spot watching online, here's what I recommend that you do. Right now or during our final song, I encourage you to talk to God about where you're at. Tell him that you need him. Tell him that you believe that he died so that you can have eternal life. Tell him that, that you want to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior and start a new relationship with him, relationship that you've never had before. If you make that decision today, Jesus will step into your life and you will become part of his eternal family. So I'm just curious if there's anybody here willing to, to say while we're continuing to pray that you are praying that prayer for the first time in your life or you'd like to do that during our final song. If you're in that spot, would you raise your hand up? Raise your hand up high so I can see that. I'll just take a second to acknowledge that. If there's anybody here, I see one, thank you. Anybody else? All right, I see one, I'm so grateful for that person. Maybe somebody's raising their hands online. So Lord, I thank you for the courage of, of this person and possibly others who are willing to say, you know what? Maybe I had my faith in the wrong thing. I need to come into a real relationship with you. I pray that you would grow them in that new relationship that we have. Thank you for being a gracious God to us who are sinners. Thank you for coming to die while we were yet sinners so that we can have eternal life. So Lord, we pray that you would give us the faith in you that we need and that you would help us to purposefully grow our faith. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen.